0: Hi, this is Fred Frith, urging you with terrific enthusiasm to listen to WCVN-FM Ann Arbor, and hope to catch you soon.
1: This land is your land, and this land is my land, from the California to the New York island. From the redwood forest to the Gulf Stream waters, this land was made for you and me. As I went a walk in that ribbon of highway, I saw above me that endless skyway, saw below me that golden valley, this land was made for you and me. I roamed and rambled and I followed my footsteps. To
0: the and spark. good afternoon. Welcome to Living Writers. This is Frank Yulee, sitting in for your summer host, Amanda Yulee, and your regular host, T. Hetzel. We've been doing the uh, the Yulees have been doing the summer, and uh, this is our final show. And we're doing a special tribute today from the vault with our uh, host, Ashley David, who interviewed... Senator John McCain on December 7th, 19 I'm sorry, 2005, Pearl Harbor Day, as a matter of fact. And uh, Senator McCain, who recently passed away, has uh was down here in the studios at WCBN on that day with Ashley and we will give you that interview now and um we hope you enjoy it. It's uh, quite enlightening and still timely today. So we do this in the memory of Senator John McCain.
2: Good afternoon. You're tuned in to The Living Writers Show on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is Ashley David, and my guest today is John McCain. Author, It's just hard to say that without, without mm-hmm. saying, mm-hmm. yes, indeed, my guest today is Senator John McCain, um, four-term U.S. senator from Arizona, retired Navy captain who served um, in Vietnam and spent five and a half years as a prisoner of war in Hanoi, for which he earned the Purple Heart. He also spent two terms in the U.S. House of Representatives, and he is the co-author, along with Mark Salter, of four books. The first, Faith of My Fathers, the second, Worth the Fighting For, the third, Why Courage Matters, and the book we'll be discussing today, Character is Destiny. Welcome, Senator McCain.
3: Thank you, Ashley.
2: It's great to have you here today. Now, I'm going to just tell folks a little bit about um, the way the book's organized, and then, as we usually do in the show, I'd love for you to read a little bit. All right. For us. So this is a book for um it's called Um Character is Destiny Inspiring Stories Every Young Person Should Know and Every Adult Should Remember. And it's a collection that you have organized along um character traits, yes. um, honor, respect, purpose, humor, humor, Courtesy, yeah. All those sorts yeah. of things. And I'm wondering if you would read you use um folks like Gandhi, Abraham Lincoln, um, Thomas Moore, to illustrate some of these character traits. Mm -hmm. And um, for starters, I'd love it if you would read the afterword, um, which (laughs) is a place where you come in and um, sort of tell us a lot about what you were thinking.
3: Well, before I begin reading, I, yeah, we did exactly that. Uh, Random House, our publishers, are the ones that suggested the book, and we first started to write it in a rather tutorial and condescending fashion and then had to scrap the whole project because young people don't like to be lectured to. And, and we wrote about these individuals, many of whom you just mentioned, in order to not only provide the the qualities a description of the qualities that made up their character but also their flaws as well and we don't pretend that many of these characters were perfect and many of them had to overcome some difficulties and circumstances in their lives which uh, presented enormous challenges to them well, anyway Ashley, you wanted me to read the afterward and which i will do <clears throat> now A wiser man than I once explained that to live a good life, all you have to do is become less selfish on the way out than you were coming in. I used to think that sounded easy, but it's not. It takes many special habits of the heart and the mind to achieve. It's the hardest work of anyone's life, but it is the work that will make you the happiest. It takes strength, not physical strength, but moral strength, the strength to sacrifice for an ideal, It takes understanding and wisdom and a mind that questions belief and conventions that the heart suspects are false. And it takes love, love for something greater than yourself, love that is much more than desire or affection. It is a love that does not yield to disappointment or suffering, but recognizes and defends the good in the world and in that purpose finds true happiness selfishness is the enemy of these qualities and of happiness the happiest people might not be the luckiest or the safest or the most comfortable or the most popular but they are I observed the least selfish They are those people who are less selfish today than they were yesterday and less selfish tomorrow than they are today and on and on day after day until many years later They look back on their life and are happy to see that it was good, not perfect, not without mistakes, not without disappointment and hurt, maybe not all they once dreamed it would be, but good. It's not my place to teach you these truths, but old men always seem to have more to say than the young care to hear. It's a bad habit, but we mean no harm. Perhaps it's because we have fewer choices of our own left to make, and fewer chances left to improve our character, that we cannot help but want to meddle with yours. So bear with me for one more reminiscence. It's a story of good character, taught to me by men who had more of it than I have. In the prison I lived in, so far from here and so very long ago, I served with men of extraordinary character. Honorable men, strong, principled, wise, compassionate, and loving men. Better men than I in more ways than I can number. As I mentioned earlier, we were often treated cruelly. For several years, we were tortured by our captors. Some of us were beaten terribly and worse. Some were killed. Sometimes we were tortured for information that could be used to help our enemy fight the war, and sometimes for information they could use against other prisoners. Most often, they tortured us to compel us to make statements criticizing our country and the cause we had been asked to serve. Many times, they would briefly suspend the torture and try to persuade us to make the statement by promising that no one would hear what we said or know we had sacrificed our integrity. Just say it and we will spare you any more pain they promised and no one no one will know but the men i had the honor of serving with always had the same response i will know i will know that dear reader is good character and i hope it's your destiny your choice your achievement to hear the voice in your own heart when you face hard decisions in your life to hear it say to you again and again until it drowns out every other thought I will know I will know I will know
2: wonderful thank you very much now you say in the you begin the book with the words I don't believe in destiny I believe in character and um That's something that that those are the sort of development of character is something that you've explored in in all of your books. Mm -hmm. In um, your second book, Worth the Fighting For, you referred to many people who have influenced you and have been, um, if not outright heroes, then just um, folks who've made a big difference in your life and helped you sort of figure out how it is to be who you are and i'm wondering in this book these are characters um historical characters like leonardo da vinci and um, sojourner truth um i mentioned gandhi earlier um i'm wondering how you chose these characters to illustrate the lessons
3: well uh, mark schalter who was my administrative assistant and dear and close friend uh, we've been together for 16 years we sit down in the evenings in the Senate and with a tape recorder and sometimes take notes and we just bat ideas and thoughts and uh, individuals back and forth and then we write it up and then we fix it and then we review it and um, so it's kind of a team effort with him doing most of the work actually when I at the beginning of the book, say that, you know, that that your character is not, uh, uh, they're, they're, it's not destined. What I mean by that is that um, some of our characters and some of us are blessed with good families, good lives, happy homes, and then there's others of us who are not so fortunate. And many of the characters in this book had wonderful homes and upbringings, but many of them did not. Wilma Rudolph was one of 20 children uh, and was crippled with polio and later ended up to be a Olympic champion, as you know. Uh, Abraham Lincoln had terrible bouts of depression. Uh, We write about uh, Winston Churchill and what he called his black dogs. Basically he suffered bouts of serious depression. But when Winston was young his father was a terribly cruel man who later died of syphilis, and his mother was very uh, flagrant in her, in her behavior. Now, here's a boy at age nine. Age nine was sent away to one of these public schools, was totally neglected by his parents. They would never come to see him. And uh, and in the book, we, we write about the fact that, as one aspect of it, was that he got into into Sandhurst which is the British military academy and he failed to pass the test but then on the third try he managed to pass it barely and he couldn't get in the infantry which was the desired thing he could only get into the cavalry but he wrote his letter his father a letter and shared with him the good news that he would enter Sandhurst after all his father's reply and i read it from the book this is his father a father <clears throat> With all the advantages you had, with all the abilities which you foolishly think yourself to possess, this is the grand result that you come up among the second-rate and third-rate class who are only good for commissions in a cavalry regiment. Now, it's a good thing to put this business very plainly before you. Do not think I'm going to take the trouble of writing you long letters after every folly and failure you commit and undergo. I shall not write again on these matters and you need not trouble to write any answer to this part of my letter because I no longer attach the slightest weight to anything you may say about your own achievements and exploits. That's a letter from a father to a son who just got into a school that he was striving to get into. And yet all his life, strangely enough, Churchill idolized his father. It's amazing. So what we're trying to say is, and it's a very long answer to your opening comment, that our lives are determined by choices that we make and characteristics and qualities that make our character.
2: I wonder um, how you are thinking about um, children inter- interacting with this book. Is this um, the the subtitle is um, "inspiring stories every young person should know and every adult should remember"? Are you um, expecting or wanting parents or adult figures to interact with children with the book, or for them to discover it on their own?
3: Oh, I think we should. The best thing you could do with this book is of course read it yourself but then perhaps more important is to read it to a child, uh, a young person growing up and there's a broad selection of stories obviously 34 different ones young people today are exposed to influences which may, some of which may not be the healthiest one of them is a the confusion between celebrity, celebrity status and true heroism or true good quality traits. Terrell Owens uh, I think is a subject of a lot of attention uh, and I believe he's a person who indulges very much in self-gratification and yet some young Americans may look up to Terrell Owens as a role model I don't think they should I think they should look to Pat Tillman who was our Arizona football player who died in action in Afghanistan who so we, is
2: one of the characters yes. that's, who's profiled in your book
3: Yes, Pat Tillman, I think most of our listeners may know was a underachiever who played uh, at the Arizona at Arizona State University, he was all Pac-10, and then he got uh was drafted like 250th by the Arizona Cardinals and became a star for linebacker for them. Uh had a multi-million dollar a year contract and when after 9/11 He and his brother joined uh, the Army Rangers, and he never had a press conference. He never gave an interview, fought in Iraq, and was tragically killed in Afghanistan as a part of friendly fire, by the way. He was killed by our own...
2: By part of his uh, own unit.
3: Yeah, which uh, does not in any way diminish from his hero status. But, I see, I think Pat Tillman is everything that a hero in America would be and at the same time the last person to believe that he was a hero is Pat Tillman
2: well we're going to take a short break and then we'll be right back you're listening to the Living Writers Show on WCBN FM Ann Arbor my name is Ashley David and my guest today is Senator John McCain we're discussing his newest book Character is Destiny we'll be right back tuned into The Living Writers Show on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is Ashley David and my guest today is Senator John McCain. We're discussing Character is Destiny. We've talked a little bit about um, what character is and where it comes from and I'd like to talk a little bit more about, um, we've touched slightly on inspiration and how these heroes um, are inspiring. I'd like to talk a little bit more about that. Um, You... Your father and your grandfather both were celebrated Navy admirals, mm-hmm. and you write about that in mm-hmm. your first book, "Faith of My Fathers." Now, the family legacy always assumed, or that you would end up in the Naval Academy, and indeed mm-hmm. you did. And you write in one of your sub chapters in "Character's Destiny," in the the um, section of the book called "Honor," and the the chapter "Respect" about Gandhi. And you write about how he came to be who he was as opposed to the lawyer he embarked Mm -hmm. upon being at the beginning of his professional career. And you credit the indignities that he suffered in apartheid in South Africa with um, marking his turning point and sending him on the road of of service that Mm -hmm. he followed. And I'm wondering, you had sort of a, a... predetermined path for you it was a naval academy mm-hmm. and hopefully to um, spend the rest of your your entire career in the Navy as both your father and your grandfather had done and I wonder what your own turning point was was when you went from um, whether it was as when when you were a child or, or mm-hmm. much later when you began to sort of move out of the path of this is the preordained and this is the life that I'm going to to choose
3: well I, it's a little complicated because I wanted very badly to be in the Navy and be a fighter pilot that was my only goal in life Uh, but at the same time I resented very much sort of having that path charted for me and uh, the pressures were just total that I was gonna follow in their footsteps so that and i'm sure other character flaws uh, contributed to my extreme rebelliousness at the naval academy i was always in trouble i was always skirting the the demerit system and always doing something uh, sometimes pretty flagrant to violate the rules and alienate the, my company officer and others who were who were um, given the responsibilities to make good naval officers out of us so Um, I wanted to be in the Navy. I wanted to follow in their footsteps, but my resentment at being forced to do so manifested itself with uh, a rebelliousness that they still tell stories about.
2: (laughs) And um, you clearly have sort of... You made it through that rebellion. You graduated from the Naval Academy and went off um, and retired from the Naval Service. When I came
3: back from prison, after a period of time, I was able to get back on flying status, and then I was unable to stay on flying status, and that basically was the factor that forced me out of the Navy.
2: Were there moments um, along the way that... Um helped you figure out what was reasonable rebellion and what was no, sort of unreasonable no, I had, rebellion
3: I had no balance no <laughs> <laughs> would
2: you say you do now
3: I hope so i hope that I hope that only if only you're, yeah yeah i and I recognize better, I understand better now, but I also had a very good time. I mean, we did a lot of interesting and entertaining things so but um you know, I, I was proud of my legacy. My family really militarily goes all the way back to our Revolutionary War and uh, and several uncles and ancestors that fought in the Civil War. So, uh, And
2: your uh, son, who shares your name, is headed off to the Naval Academy. He's in here. his first
3: year at the Naval Academy, yeah. yes. I was on the IMUS show this morning, and he asked me, was he behaving better than I did, and I said... Uh, I don't know because uh, I don't ask and he doesn't tell. So, <laughs> so um, But, yeah, he's, he's there. In fact, we went to the Army-Navy game last Saturday. It was very enjoyable. So I hope that, that um, a lot of children realize that some of us take some time to find our way. Uh, it really wasn't until I was in prison that I understood a lot more about life and about Uh, how we are dependent on others as i was and how important it is to serve causes greater than yourself and so many people say you know it must have been horrible and terrible when you were in prison and actually it wasn't so terrible i had uh, those that i know best and love most are those i served with i observed a thousand acts of courage and compassion and love and i found out i was very dependent on others not just on myself and so i i would imagine that it didn't form my character my character was already formed but it certainly influenced and matured me in a lot of respects
2: now that um understanding that we're all dependent upon each other in one way or another that we're not as independent as we tend to Believe, um, no is man is an island. No man is an island. Is sometimes interpreted as being contradictory to this rugged American individualism mm-hmm. that says I am mm-hmm. and get to do what I want to do. Um, you mentioned selfishness in in the Ford and throughout the book, and it, it's it's a, a note that you strike in many of your your other in your other three books. I wonder what you're thinking the greatest challenge for young people is today to sort of learn that lesson. We're in a, a very different world from the one that you grew up in and the one that I grew mm-hmm. up in. I grew up in a pre internet world. And, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I, there, we're in this globalization has changed the way we do things, the internet's changed the way we mm-hmm. do things. We're in a very consumer oriented period of our lives.
3: And. Uh an atmosphere of almost instant gratification, obviously. An instant response, which reduces uh, time for contemplation and thought. Um, but on the other hand you also have uh, the ability to access knowledge and information that's not believable i mean it's not believable well, when writing this book yeah. <laughs> in writing <laughs> okay. this book i didn't have to go to the library of congress and grab books off the shelves all i had to do was go online and the name type in the name and then you read and and get literally 99% of the information you need so you know, I, we, I think the key is to adjust to this change, which gives us access to incredible amounts of information, ways of communicating and, frankly, bonding with each other, also ways to be involved in the political process. I mean, uh, we used the Internet a great deal when I ran for president in 2000. Dean used it to incredible effect. Uh, you grassroots know, in, sort of yeah, support get, they, they rallied. getting grassroots and you know virtual meetings and things like that. So um, I don't think we've sorted it all out, but I think if properly implemented. Uh, The Internet can be one of the greatest forces for good in history, but it also can be a force for evil. We know about pornography. We know about a lot of the things that have gone on, you know, people using the Internet to try to exploit young women. I mean, you know, we've seen that there's and and those things I think we need to try to address so that we can make the best and most uh, beneficial use of the Internet.
2: Now you are a writer of books and a reader of books. You mm-hmm. you mention in um, "Worth the Fighting For" that one of your favorite books is Hemingway's "For Whom the Belt Tolls. And um, a lot of children today are perhaps not as um, spending as much time with books, shall we say, as um, mm-hmm. as they might have done twenty or thirty years ago. How would you? Go, do you, do you, did you speak to your own children? Do you, how would you encourage children to sort of get to your book?
3: Well, uh, our children at a very early age, we read to them. Um, you know, one of the good books that in recent years is the Book of Virtues, uh, which uh, William Bennett wrote, and he didn't write, but he collected all mm-hmm. these different stories about different kinds of virtues. Ours is somewhat like that, but we write the stories. We don't just collect other people's stories. And uh, so we would read to our children a lot, and every Christmas we go on a trip, and we take books, and we read and talk about them. Um, My children I exchange books with, and we discuss them now, They're, they're older, I have Daughter in college, and one at the naval academy, and one in high school, and one in the, just finishing eighth grade. But so we discuss these things a lot, and you know, it's not so much that reading is an acquired taste, but once you enjoy reading, it's something you miss terribly if you don't do it. It's like a good book is like meeting an old friend. <laughs> you know, it's it's so. Uh, wonderful to get into a book that you really are enjoying, and it doesn't. Um, I read all kinds of books, fiction and a lot of history. A lot of by Doris Kearns Goodwin's new book, uh, "Friendly Rivals," about Lincoln and his cabinet. I I find very absorbing. And I've enjoyed it very much. So, uh, I my I think that parents ought to encourage kids to read at an early age, and I, frankly, I know. Of, almost no other way that we can expand our horizons the way that we can through reading. But again, the Internet can provide you access to so many things that you don't have to go get on the bus and go down to the library anymore. You know, it's amazing.
2: It is. I I spent part of the summer, this last summer in New York, and um, was just... Terribly saddened to find that the public library was closed in Brooklyn on a Sunday because I had gotten on the bus to go down there Mm and um, Public funding has been rescinded from Mm -hmm. a lot of things that encourage reading and education is um, Public education is having some problems. Let's say Mm -hmm. in the country Um, Would you like to comment on that?
3: No, I think you're right, and I think that education is probably the greatest challenge we face if we're going to keep up in the 21st century with the emerging other nations, and not just in the sciences and engineering and all those, but certainly in other areas as well, areas that require creativity. So, yeah, I think that education is very important. Frankly, we got to look to the Irish. Ireland turned their whole economy and society around by reforming education in that country. Fastest-growing
2: economy in the EU right now, isn't it?
3: Yes, and for 200 years, people immigrated from Ireland. Now they're all coming back. (laughs)
2: They're going to rule the world. (laughs)
4: Indeed.
2: Now, the um, characters, the the, the people that you've chosen, the heroes that you've chosen for character as destiny, are all... um, None different. of them. They're, they're all very different mm-hmm. <laughs> yes they're very different but also they're all gone none of them are living now
3: uh, Sister Antonia is still alive oh still alive okay so there are a couple and um, let's see Wilma Rudolph I think is still alive she's still alive okay um, there's a few that are still alive
2: but m- most of them are historical figures
3: yeah we go all the way back to Joan of Arc and Sir Thomas More and up to um, Sister Antonio, who is in the, at the jail in Tijuana now, tending to some poor damned soul.
2: And she was a housewife in Beverly Hills, and yeah. then became a
3: nun. And she became a nun, and she went to Tijuana, which is probably one of the most roughest prisons in the world, and took up residence there and began caring for the for the prisoners. It's a remarkable story. She's in her 80s now. It's wow. just a remarkable, remarkable story. Remarkable story. Yeah. And
2: I'm how.
3: Osceola McCarty, who took in washing all her life in a small town in Mississippi, didn't spend her money. At the end of her life, she had two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and she gave it to a college that she'd never visited in Mississippi. Incredible story.
2: And they're all they're, the, the ways in which you've chosen to tell these characters' stories. They're inspirational figures, sort of objectively speaking, and then you focused on the parts that are inspirational. Because they're not contemporary, though, I wonder how you um, think of them as relating to the contemporary experience. For for the Mm -hmm. child who was finding the sports figure you mentioned, is it
3: Terrell? Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, Owens. There we go, Terrell Owens. Um, Well, some of them are very contemporary in this respect. For example, I think one of the most moving parts of the book is uh Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail. Mm -hmm. Now, that's as fresh in our minds that the civil rights movement is, you know, and the you know, I always thought his I Have a Dream speech was the most was his best. When you read this letter from a Birmingham jail, telling clergymen who have urged them not to go on strike because they're quote, making progress, and he says, and I'll quote from it in a minute, what do I tell my daughter? You know when I tell, when they when she says she can't go to a bathroom that's that's marked uh, colored uh th- that's that's very topical um he is um, Nelson Mandela is still alive, and he's another great example uh of what we should be doing and but yet there's other heroic figures from the past Aung San Suu Kyi my favorite in all the book is is still alive and still under house arrest by those thugs that uh, that rule Burma and she is just the most incredible figure that 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 I have ever known in my life it's just uh, she's incredible and she's a Nobel Peace Prize winner and her people and she are being held captive by a group of gangsters and uh,
2: in Burma, uh, yeah. now called Myanmar,
3: yeah, and uh, yeah, called Myanmar. You know, it's just, um, it, it, I, I, I read it. he uh, in response to the, uh, to the local clergyman who said that they should um, wait and not go on strike. He said, "We have made it. Waited for more than 340 years for our constitutional and God-given rights." Perhaps it's easy for those who have never felt the stinging dark of segregation to say, wait. But when you've seen vicious mobs lynch your mothers and fathers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim, when you've seen hate-filled policemen curse, kick, and even kill your black brothers and sisters, When you see the vast majority of your 20 million Negro brothers smothering in an airtight cage of poverty in the midst of an affluent society. When you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering as you seek to explain to your six-year-old daughter why she can't go to the public amusement park that has just been advertised on television and see tears welling up in her eyes when she is told... That Town is closed to colored children. Uh, that you know, that's remarkable.
2: That's Senator John McCain reading the words of Martin Luther King Jr. It's the top of the hour. You're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor, eighty eight point three. This is the Living Writer Show. My name is Ashley David. My guest today is Senator John McCain and we'll be right back after a break. Mm-hmm.
4: los días que me faltan tal cual si pudiera verlos como son solo quiero resumirte que al principio te pensaba y que hoy contemplo en ti la costa donde voy si te cuento que esta unión de dulce y sal me sujetó y otras cosas parecidas que me envuelven y me dan de imaginar es que me deleito tanto Escuchándome inventarte mi prisión Es mi sueño preferido Y no quisiera un día notar Que este encuentro no me sucedió jamás A mí que vuelvo a amanecer para tu aliento Muchas más veces de las que hubiera confesado ayer Que despido al sol pulido.
2: Living Writers Show on WCBN FM. My name is Ashley David. My guest today is Senator John McCain. We're discussing, for the most part, his newest book, mm-hmm. "Character Is Destiny: Inspiring Stories Every Young Person Should Know and Every Adult Should Remember."
3: Could I, could I just for a second, Ashley, go back to Ansan Suchi? You Please were mentioning do. about people who are alive and dead. She's in her fifteenth year of house arrest. Uh, she's had her followers beaten and killed. She's been imprisoned. She one time was allowed out from her house arrest and was in a car, and she was surrounded by these thugs for a week. She was inside her car. Now, this is a woman that doesn't weigh 90 pounds, that is charmingly beautiful and fragile, and yet there's steel in her, and she won an election back in 1998, I believe, what, 91, and these thugs overturned the election and put her into prison I mean into house arrest one aspect you know you hear these stories And her husband she she lived and studied at Oxford for a while and she met and married her husband she had two sons and so her husband was in England and she was there in Burma I hate to call it Myanmar because the thugs called it Myanmar and he got cancer and was dying And she obviously wanted to go stay with, see him. And these people that run Burma said, yeah, you can go, but you can never come back. So her husband died by himself without his wife there to be with him. I mean, it's the sacrifices she has made. And the thing I regret is that she's not a household word in the world. She should be a name that comes to everyone's lips because... She epitomizes everything about heroism. And by the way, she is always incredibly courteous to her captors. She treats them with the utmost courtesy, serves them tea when they come to see him, And uh, she behaves to them in a way that uh, I would hope makes them ashamed.
2: Well, let's hope. That brings me to what I'd like to talk about for the the rest of the show, which has to do with um, responsibility and duty. Um, Mm -hmm. And when you write in Worth the Fighting For that um, your father was leading the Pacific um, Mm -hmm. when you were a prisoner of war in Hanoi, and the decision that he had to execute was bomb Hanoi to... um, Shorten the war, hopefully, and that meant that bombs would be going where his son was. So there was a call to duty there that he had to fall, much like Aung San Suu I'm, I'm terrible pronunciation. How- Aung San Suu Suu-shi, Aung yes. Hoshu, Thank you. Um, much like her decision to stay in Burma rather than to join her dying um, husband. husband in England. And. Um, Currently, there's a lot of controversy right now in the papers about this question of whether or not the CIA can be exempt from Mm -hmm. um, the torture clause and um, I'm wondering Duty and honor and responsibility all many of the character traits that you list in this book are not necessarily simple ones to follow and you mentioned that in the in the afterward that you read at the beginning of the show so, I'm wondering how you make the decisions when the decisions are difficult. How do you follow um, a path that makes the most sense when, say, for example, your personal sense of duty conflicts with a duty that you are sworn to follow?
3: Well, in the case of the torture situation, very briefly, um, We're fighting two wars in this world, one on the ground in Iraq and Afghanistan, and the other is the war of ideals, of hearts and minds. And the thing that separates us from those who want to destroy us, those who engage in Muslim extremism, um, uh, they don't have any of those ideals and standards. And so we must maintain higher standards, which is what our country was all about, And it's not about the terrorists. It's about us and what kind of people we are Um, I think that in order to make the tough decisions. It's like You have to sort of like build something you have to to be imbued with certain ideals and beliefs and fundamentals that when you are tested even if you fail you come back I don't think anyone expects perfection in this world or life, but what we do expect—I think we should expect of ourselves—is to try to do better every day, become less selfish every time, so that when the testing comes, you will know. (laughs) You you will know, and that is is what
2: conscience. Then
3: it's—it's. I think it's. It's being imbued with the ideals and characteristics that give you the strength to confront difficult challenges. Um, When I was in prison, because of my father's position, the North Vietnamese offered me a chance to go home. I was not in very good shape, and obviously I was tempted to do so. But our code of conduct, which is something that every military man is guided by, said that... You go home in order of capture, and there was many people, a couple of hundred or so, that had been there before I was, so I refused the offer. By the way, I'm glad I didn't know the war was going to last for another three years. But anyway, um, so... um, the reason why I think I was able to make that decision was, one, love of my comrades and desire not to leave them, but two, the fact that I knew deep down that it was not the most honorable thing to do, and that's where all the reading and all the study and all the, the effort at trying to be a better person uh, paid off. But I've also got to tell you, I failed several times in prison to be as strong as I had hoped that I would be, and I failed. And when I failed, I was picked up and encouraged and sustained by my comrades, and I was stronger for it. So, um, again, I don't want anyone that's listening to think that we can, are capable of living perfect lives. In fact, many times we learn through failure. We bounce back, and we're better people for it. Uh, but what we should do, as I said, every day try to be less selfish than the day before, and tomorrow be less selfish than we were today. And I still remain a selfish, egotistical politician, but I try all the time to live a better life and be a, a better public servant than I was yesterday.
2: Do you see the country learning from its mistakes currently? Are you heartened, or are you Uh, feeling like we're in the trenches?
3: I think we're in a bad period. I think there's a lot of bad things going on in Washington. I think there's... uh, In democracies, we go through kind of cycles of uh, corruption and then reform, and I think it's about time we had reform. You saw where one congressman now is going to go to jail for... Uh, And he was a former Navy pilot. And there's others, a scandal scandal about this guy who was a lobbyist named Abramoff and his buddy Scanlon. But the good thing about our system of government is that we become aware of these sins. We address them and we fix them and we reform and we move on. In many other kinds of government in the world, they never do. And so it's a weakness but a strength in America that we have things go wrong, but we fix them.
2: Well, on the let's fix the wrongs note, um, it's about time to wrap things up. And you're reading tonight, is that correct? Uh, yes. Are you reading at Borders yes, at 7 Borders. p.m.?
3: Yes, at Borders Bookstore. And, uh, yes. On Liberty, I believe it is, no? Yes, indeed.
2: Okay. So you'll be reading from your book, Characters, Destiny. And, and signing
3: books, indeed. And signing books and yes, all of that. Yes.
2: Well, Senator McCain, I'd like to thank you very much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to have you.
3: Thank you for having me on, Ashley, and it's a pleasure to get to know you.
2: My guest today on The Living Writers Show has been Senator John McCain. I'd like to thank our engineer, Chaz Barrett, for doing such a lovely job. And I would like to thank you for tuning in.
0: And as we listen to the end of that interview that Ashley David did with John McCain on December 7th, 2005, here at the WCBN studios, obviously we're replaying uh, old content. Borders no longer has a bookstore in Ann Arbor, in fact, doesn't exist at all. So lots of things have changed, but as you could hear from Senator McCain's comments, there were many timely topics that still resonate today. And we have another 15 minutes left of The Living Writers Show, and so we're going to air a speech that Senator McCain gave just last November at the uh, National Constitution Center to, Senator, to a number of his colleagues and others, which uh, will close out the show. And again, thank you to Ashley David for that wonderful interview she did with the great late Senator McCain, and thanks to T. Hetzel, the, Host of the show will return next week with her fall schedule of great writers to listen to as they talk about their work. We feature all sides here on WCBN and Senator McCain uh, represented a great tradition in the Republican Party, which we all hope will return as his uh, comments indicate it's about character. That's my uh, editorializing. Here now are Senator McCain's remarks to the National Constitution Center in November of 2017.
5: Thank you, Joe, my old dear friend, for those mostly undeserved kind words. Vice President Biden and I have known each other for a lot of years now, more than 40 if you're counting, We knew each other back when we were young and handsome and smarter than everyone else, but were too modest to say so. (laughs) Joe was already a senator, and I was the Navy's liaison officer to the Senate. My duties included, as he mentioned earlier, escorting Senate delegations onto overseas trips. And in that capacity, I supervised the delegation's luggage which could require now and again, when no one of lower rank was available for the job, that I carry someone else's bag. Once or twice, that turned out to be the young senator from Delaware. I've resented it ever since. (laughs) Joe has heard me joke about that before. I hope he has heard, too, my profession of gratitude for his friendship and love these many years. It's meant a lot to me. We, <clears throat> we served in the Senate together for over 20 years during some eventful times as we passed from young men to the fossils who appear before you this evening. <laughs> We didn't always agree on the issues. We often argued, sometimes passionately, but we believed in each other's patriotism and the sincerity of each other's convictions. We believed in the institution we were privileged to serve in. We believed in our mutual responsibility to help make the place work and to cooperate in finding solutions to our country's problems. We believed in our country and in our country's indispensability to international peace and stability and to the progress of humanity. And through it all, whether we argued or agreed, Joe was good company. You all know he is good company. (laughs) So thank you, old friend, for your company and your service to America. Thank you, too, to the National Constitution Center and everyone associated with it for this award. Thank you for that video and for all the two generous compliments paid to me this evening. I'm aware of the prestigious company the Liberty Medal places me in. I'm humbled by it and I'll try my best not to prove too unworthy of it. Some years ago, I was present at an event where an earlier Liberty Medal recipient spoke about America's values and the sacrifices made for them. It was 1991, and I was attending the ceremony commemorating the 50th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor. The World War II veteran, Estimable patriot and good man, President George Herbert Walker Bush, gave a moving speech at the USS Arizona Memorial. I remember it very well. His voice was thick with emotion as he neared the end of his address. I imagine he was thinking not only of the brave Americans who lost their lives on December 7, 1941, but of the friends he had served with and lost in the Pacific. Where he, hit, where he had been, the Navy's youngest aviator. Look at the water here, clear and quiet, he directed. One day, what now seems another lifetime, it, wraps it, it wrapped its arms around the finest suns any nation could ever have, and it, <clears throat> and it carried them to a better world. He could barely get out the last line. May God bless them, and may God bless America, the most wondrous nation on Earth. The most- (laughs) The most wondrous land on Earth, indeed. I've had the good fortune to spend 60 years in service to this wondrous land. It's not been perfect service, to be sure. And there were probably times when the country might have benefited a little less of my help. But I've tried to deserve the privilege as best I can. And I've been repaid a thousand times over with adventures, with good company, with the satisfaction of serving something more important than myself, of being a bit player in the extraordinary story of America. And I am so grateful. What a privilege it is to serve this big, boisterous, brawling, intemperate, striving, daring, beautiful, bountiful, brave, magnificent country. With all our flaws, all our mistakes, with all the frailties of human nature, as much on display as our virtues, with all the rancor and anger of our politics, we are blessed. We are living in the land of the free. The land where anything is possible. The land of the immigrant's dream. The land with the storied past forgotten in the rush to the imagined future. The land that repairs and reinvents itself. The land where a person can escape the consequences of a self-centered youth and know the satisfaction of sacrificing for an ideal the land where you can go from aimless rebellion to a noble cause and from the bottom of your class to your party's nomination for president. (laughs) We are blessed, and we've been a blessing to humanity in turn. The international order we helped build from the ashes of World War and that we defend to this day has liberated more people from tyranny and poverty than ever before in history this wondrous land this wondrous land has shared its treasures and ideals and shed the blood of its finest patriots to help another to help make another better world and as we did so We made our own civilization more just, freer, more accomplished, and prosperous than the America that existed when I watched my father go off to war on December 7th, 1941. To fear the world we have organized and led the three quarters of a century, to abandon the ideals we have advanced around the globe, to refuse the obligations of international leadership, and our duty to remain the last best hope of Earth for the sake of some half-baked, spurious nationalism cooked up by people who would rather find scapegoats than solve problems. This <laughs> is is as unpatriotic as an attachment to any other tired dogma of the past that Americans consigned to the ash-, the ash heap of history. We live in a land made of ideals, not blood and soil. We are the custodians of those ideals at home and their champion abroad. We've done great good in the world. That leadership has had its costs but we have become incomparably powerful and wealthy as we did. We have a moral obligation to continue in our just cause, and we would bring more than shame on ourselves if we don't. We will not thrive in a world where our leadership and ideals are absent. We wouldn't deserve to. I'm the luckiest guy on Earth. I have served America's cause, the cause of our security and the security of our friends, the cause of freedom and equal justice all my adult life. I haven't always served it well. I haven't even always appreciated what I was serving. But among the few compensations of old age is the acuity of hindsight. I see now that I was part of something important that drew me along in its wake even when I was diverted by other interests. I was, knowingly or not, along for the ride as America made the future better than the past. And I've enjoyed it, every single day of it, the good ones and the not-so-good ones. (laughs) I've been inspired by the service of better patriots than me. I've seen Americans make sacrifices for our country and our causes and for people who were strangers to them, but for our common humanity. Sacrifices that were much harder than the service ever asked of me. And I've seen the good they've done, the lives they've freed from tyranny and injustice, the hope they encouraged, the dreams they made achievable. May God bless them. May God bless America. And give us the strength and wisdom, the generosity and compassion to do our duty for this wondrous land and for the world that counts on us. With all its suffering and danger, the world still looks to the example and leadership of America to become another, better place. What greater cause could anyone ever serve? Thank you again for this honor I'll treasure. It.
1: To my man let the midnight special shine a light on me let the midnight special shiny heaven loving light on me when you gets up in the morning when that big bell rings or the marching to the table you meet the same old thing not talking on the table Ain't nothing in my pants. Take it down. You can bet your bottom dollar that you're sugar land sugarland Let the midnight special Shiny light on me. Let the midnight special shine a heaven loving light on me. Well, jumping little shooting day. she was a mighty fine girl. She didn't brought jumping So there's a whole round world. Well, she brought it in the morning. Just a whiteboard day, but well, she brought me the news, and my wife was. Did that started me really grieving who've been hollering and crying then I began to worry about my bread a great long time let the midnight special shine a light on me let the midnight special shine a heaven
3: something to tell you yeah no 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 it's cool hey listen you new here uh huh you new here huh uh huh uh huh where you from oh yeah uh huh uh huh well listen you know what's going on around here you don't you don't good that's sure because ain't nothing going on ain't nothing uh uh nothing going on around here nothing unless you're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor 88.3 that's the only thing happening here. The only thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay, we'll see you, kid. Yeah, take care. Take care, yeah. Hey. Hey, kid! Kid! Look out!
1: Look out! Look out!
3: Oh! Yeah! Oh! Oh! oh. oh tune in next week. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Grant Fisher, a fine gentleman uh, from the WCBN News Department. Days gone by, Ann Arbor native, somewhere out in the world. It's 6.02. My name is Mars,
2: and I'm here.